Friends, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me there to the Old Testament. We're in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4. We're reading verses 13 to 22. Uh, knowing today is Christmas, uh, I chose what I think is an appropriate passage for us uh, because I think what Ruth 4 will ultimately do is help us to rejoice in, celebrate, um, and thank the Lord for uh, the birth of our Savior uh, come this day. Um, and so Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 to 22, uh, we're going to give our attention to the reading and receiving of God's word. And the way we do that here at Cornerstone is that we stand. So please stand with me if you're able. Standing is an act of worship. It shows our reverence for the Lord, for he speaks, and then we, his people, we listen. So Ruth chapter 4, beginning with verse 13 until the end. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and began to nurse him, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated and join me in prayer this time. Good and gracious God, we pray for your help so that as we listen to your word, it would not be by our intellectual powers and our reasoning um, that we receive, um, but it is our heart, Lord, that your spirit would soften our heart to receive uh, that which you desire to uh, give to us as you water our souls and you nourish our souls with your word. Help us, Lord, in this time we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Despite uh, popular treatments of the book of Ruth, uh, the main theme of the book of Ruth is not romance, as we're so often told it is, uh, but it's redemption. Now, what I mean by that is if you've heard any teaching on Ruth, is often something like men, Look for women like Ruth, industrious, hardworking, can carry a lot of grain and barley on her back. Uh, women, look for men like Boaz, strong, powerful, capable, willing, godly, righteous. And although all those things are true and romance is a sub-theme in the book of Ruth, ultimately the main theme is redemption. Ruth is a story about redeeming, God's redeeming work for a particular woman. Except, surprisingly, it's not Ruth. It's Naomi. Now, we read the very end of the book of Ruth, but in order to understand what we're reading, we actually need to do an overview of the entire book. And so let me begin uh, in chapter one. Ruth begins um, by telling the story of a family of four. There is a father and husband named Elimelech. There is a wife and mother named Naomi, and they have two sons. 
Now they live in Bethlehem of Judah. And one day there's a famine and it's so severe that in order to survive, they flee Bethlehem and they go to the Gentile country of Moab. Now, while in Moab, they're sojourners. This is a, a brand new land. It's not an Israelite nation. And so they show up as sojourners. Now, they left Bethlehem in order to escape and avoid death. But they can't. Because when they end up in Moab, Elimelech, the father and husband, he passes. And this is absolutely heartbreaking because this leaves Naomi behind with two young sons. Now, we know they're young because as the story tells us, it takes about another 10 years until they become of marrying age, where they then marry uh, two Moabite women, one named Orpah, one named Ruth. But the tragedy continues to unfold because as soon as they marry, before they can have a family, before they have children, both of her sons pass away. And so Ruth once opens with this woman, Naomi. She's left entirely alone. She's far from home in a land where she's a foreigner and now she's a widow. And the thing is, in the ancient culture, uh, because of her age, she was unable to remarry. She was beyond birthing age. And that in this culture left her vulnerable and powerless. She had no station. She had no standing. She had no title. She had no family name. She had no security. She had no protect, protection. And therefore, she actually had no future hope. And this is how the book of Ruth begins, a portrait of a desperate and destitute woman. But she's the main character. And God begins with her because it's out of her tragedy that God will begin to work his redemption. And we see that turn beginning to happen when Naomi decides that life in Moab is no longer desirable. Why does she need to be there? Everything that she has has been lost. And so hearing that the famine is over, she goes back to Bethlehem and her faithful daughter-in-law, Ruth, is with her. And so we read this in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Now, granted, Naomi's been away for at least 10 years, a little bit more than that. And when she returns, uh, to a certain extent, of course, it would make sense that she's unrecognizable, that people actually don't quite uh, are able to put a name to her face. But, you know, th there is a sense in which, you know, she's familiar. So they must have seen her face and, and thought to themselves, that woman, she looks a lot like Naomi. And then when she spoke, she must have heard, they must have heard her voice and say, her voice sounds a lot like Naomi except they're not sure. They don't know for certain because in their minds, right, just as any reasonable person would think, if this is Naomi, where's her husband? If this is Naomi, where are her two sons? They should be of marrying age. Where are they? If this is that Israelite Naomi, then who is this Moabite Gentile woman clinging by her side? So with all these unanswered questions, they actually ask in verse 19, is this Naomi? Her response is one of the most genuine, honest replies in all of the Bible. Here's what she says. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now, it sounds like what she's saying is a complaint. It sounds like she's ungrateful and she's angry, but the author doesn't record her words so that we read it and judge her and criticize her for her lack of faith. 
Instead, the author records it so that we know the depth of her pain. We actually get into her mind. We see how she's processing her suffering. Now, notice, though, Naomi, as she enters into the city of Bethlehem, isn't on the city limits rehearsing how she's going to pretend like everything is okay. She doesn't rehearse, okay, you know, things have been tough, but put on your game face when people ask, say, you know what, God is good all the time, and I'm too blessed to be stressed, and, you know, everything is good. Praise the Lord. PTL. When she enters into town, she speaks the truth of her emotions and her experience. Her life has not been easy. She's been dragged through the mud. She's not caught a break in over 10 years. She is bitter. Now, you may have noticed this. In her response, four times, she attributes her afflictions to God. She doesn't believe she's a victim in a senseless universe where suffering is meaningless and everything is ultimately impersonal and I don't know why it's happening, but you know, that's just the way the universe is going. She doesn't view the world like that. In the midst, right in the middle of all her suffering and her life falling apart and crumbling, she knows God is there. Because she actually says in verse 20, these four things. One, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. She knows, she doesn't deny God. She knows God is in this. And so she insists, do not call me Naomi. Why call me Naomi? The reason she says this is because Naomi means pleasant. She's saying nothing about my life has been pleasant. It's been very bitter. And that's why she says, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Now, here's what I want you to notice. For a woman whose life is in utter shambles, for a woman who's barely recognizable because of all that's been done to her and all she's experienced, it's amazing that she doesn't conclude the presence of suffering in her life means the absence of God in her life. She refuses to say the presence of suffering must mean the absence of God. She loses everything, everything. But she doesn't say, why has this happened to me? God must either not exist or God must not be good. I'm going to reject him. I'm going to deny him. You know, Naomi knows something that you and I need to know, friends. And that's this doctrine. God's existence is not contingent on the fact that he exists for you. Meaning, God's existence doesn't mean he exists to bless you, to spare you from pain and suffering in your life. Naomi still believes in God, even with the bitter taste of calamity and defeat in her mouth. She still believes he's sovereign. But how? This is not the big question. Like, how can you believe God is sovereign when you're experiencing your life unfolding before you and you know that it comes from his hand? How can you still insist God is sovereign over it all? And the answer comes down to this. The God who is sovereign over the mess of your life now is the same God who is sovereign over the beauty that he's going to turn the mess into. You see, how does God work all things out for good, as the Bible says? He doesn't do it by taking away the bitter in your life. He does it by taking the bitter and making it better. That's God's work of redemption. That's God's sovereign work. He takes the bitterness and he turns it into blessing. He works with the bitterness, not to remove it, but to transform it. 
And sometimes I wonder what it would look like if weary saints and sufferers, people like you and me, if we actually learned to humble ourselves and confess that our short-sightedness, our creatureliness, what we can imagine and interpret and understand, that's not the limitation that God can work up to. Like, God is not only as wise and as good as you understand the things he does to be wise and good. He's God. You're not. He's the creator. You're the creature. And so it takes a humility, faith, to submit yourself to believe that God is working something better out of the things that are bitter in life. This sovereignty of God is our comfort because here's what it means. It means as long as God is in control of your life, as long as he's in control over the things going on in your life, as long as he's the author, that means your story isn't over until it's over. The present chapter you guys are in, no matter how messy or scary or sad or lonely or confusing it is, that chapter is not the final end. Your story is only done when God has written the final page. You see, in Naomi's life, her pages, they were filled with tears stained with tears. Because when she left Moab, her future was ahead of her. She had a husband. She had two young kids. There were all these blank pages, and she was anticipating, looking forward to how all these tales of blessing and joy and celebrations and family memories and family vacations would fill those pages. How in the world did she know that she would eventually, years later, be returning to Bethlehem, and those once blank pages in her life would tell tales of tragedy and defeat and suffering and great loss? She had no idea. Naomi's experience, her broken dreams, and her failed hopes. That may be something like what you guys are experiencing this morning. Perhaps you began this year, 2022, and you were anticipating all that this new year would have for you in the same way you're looking forward to 2023. What were those things that, you're, that, that you were hoping and anticipating and eagerly waiting to materialize? Maybe at the beginning when January 1st, 2022, you thought this is the new year. This is the year that me and my kids, we're going to build a good relationship. Me and my wife, me and my husband, we're going to make significant marital strides. Maybe you thought this is the year that all my hard work is going to pay off. I'm going to get that promotion. All my blood, sweat, and tears it's going to pay off and my business is going to take off. All the dating apps that I'm registered to, it's going to yield fruit and I'm going to be in a relationship. Oh Lord, if I fast, maybe I'll be engaged. Maybe you thought, this is the year I'm going to make the team. I'm going to make me captain or I'm going to start. I'm not going to go off the bench anymore. Maybe you were excited because you're saying, this is the year where I'm going to get clarity as to the next steps in my life. This is the year I'm going to start making moves and things aren't going to be static anymore. And in so many ways, maybe you began the year and you were looking forward to what would unravel and unfold before you. And now the year is ending and things aren't better. They're just bitter. And now as the year ends and it's Christmas and you're told to rejoice and, and celebrate 
that chapter of your life that's dated 2022, it's just filled with so many things that you wish you could have just fast forwarded through. Because maybe the year is ending and you're still single. You didn't mean anybody. You were in a relationship and you thought it was going somewhere and then it fell apart. Maybe you were passed over for that promotion that you know you deserved. Or you were let go without warning. Could it be that there were some friendships that you were hoping would go on the mend, but they continue to fall apart and deteriorate? Maybe you think there, you were hoping for some friendships to really solidify and go deep, but the year's ending and they're still shallow and superficial. Maybe you wanted to grow stronger bonds with your children, but they're more distant than ever. You wanted to have healing between you and your parents, but the fractures are even greater that you wanted to thrive with your spouse, but you find yourself just surviving day by day. And all the steps you had planned for this new year, one by one, they're all falling apart. Maybe you underwent a type of surgery and you experience the fragility of your body and you're confronted with human weakness and frailty. Maybe for some of you, as the year ends, there's bitterness in your mouth because all you taste is disappointment. And like Naomi, you feel hopeless. You feel emptier than you did before. Nothing is pleasant. Everything is bitter. Call me Mara. You see, at one point, friends, whether this year or not, whether this year or in the future, you will find yourselves in the exact shoes as Naomi in chapter one of the book of Ruth. But here's what you need to remember in those moments. Your present experience of loss, failure, or disappointments is only just one chapter. It's not the final one. We have a way of thinking that what we're experiencing is the entire story. But it's just one chapter. You keep reading the book of Ruth and more and more unfolds. The story doesn't stay stuck in chapter one. In chapter two, you finally meet Boaz, oh, good, strong, old, godly Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. It's a great love story because he meets Ruth. I mean, the way they meet, it's a little sketchy if you know the story, but they meet. He's impressed, not at her looks, but by how much barley she's carrying. It's a good thing to be impressed by. And he pursues her and he marries her. She who was a widow and a foreigner, she's brought inside. The outsider is made an insider. He redeems her and he takes upon himself all of her risks so that he can share with her all of his riches. The beautiful story of redemption. And we celebrate that, but make no mistake, that's not the climax of this story. Because the story is not about Ruth. It's not about Boaz. This is not the redemption we've been waiting for. You see, the tragedy of Naomi's life in chapter one, it doesn't come into full swing. It isn't redeemed in chapter two. It's not redeemed in chapter three. It doesn't come until chapter four. And we read these words as we did in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And we're celebrating and congratulating Boaz and Ruth. And yet the audience and the author are celebrating and congratulating somebody else. Because remember, the story is not about Ruth and it's not about Boaz. It's about Naomi. 
The book began with her loss. Why? So it can end with her gain. The book began with her bitterness. Why? So it can end with her blessing. Did you notice what verse 14 says? Then the women said to Naomi, to who? To Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. They say in verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. That is not a copyist editorial mistake. The women of town show up and they congratulate Naomi. They call the child Naomi's child. And this is entirely appropriate. Why? Because the book is about God redeeming and rewriting Naomi's story from loss and disappointment and emptiness to fullness and joy and blessing. And here's why this is incredibly hopeful. Who are you and I most in the story of Ruth? We're not Ruth. This book isn't written so that you might know the 10 things to look for in a godly man. You are not Boaz. The book is not written for 10 things to find in a godly woman. You are Naomi. Your story is one of bitterness and loss and disappointment and discouragement. So the book comes to us as great hope because those who identify with Naomi, those whose lives have taken turns that you'd never expected, your story has gone in a direction you would never write for yourself. It tells the story that all the bitter things in life will become better things. How? How can this be? And it's only possible through a redeemer. Now, if you know the story of Ruth, you may think to yourself, yes, the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, no friends. Boaz was the redeemer for Ruth, but not for Naomi. Boaz was the redeemer for Ruth. Who's the redeemer for Naomi? The baby boy, the child that was born that day. For we read in verses 14 and 15, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. May the redeemer be the restorer of your life and a nourisher of your age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than the seven sons, has given birth to the redeemer. Here's the redemption of Naomi's story. A child is born, one who will be a restorer of her life and a nourisher in her old age. And the story comes full circle because all that she went through in the last and final chapter, God turns her bitterness into blessing because now she's holding this baby that will make all of her tragedy and turmoil worth it. The child redeems her story. But here's why God is so good because he's up to something so much bigger than we realize. The God, the Lord's blessing into Naomi's life is not just for Naomi. But as we read in verse 17, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, why does he include that in there? Because if you know anything about Israel's history, the greatest king in Israel was David. Through this child came the royal lineage that led to the greatest king in Israel. Naomi's story was so unimaginably bitter. And yet God turned it and made it so unimaginably better. Not only for her not only for Israel by sending the king, but for the world. Because through this child comes the Savior. You see, God was up to something really, really big, something bigger than she could realize, something bigger than she could see. You see, the genealogy in Ruth, chapter 4, verse 18 to 22, it appears once again in the Bible. 
It appears in the New Testament when the gospel writer Matthew takes this genealogy from Ruth and he plumps it right down into a larger one, a grander genealogy. He takes Ruth 4 and puts it in Matthew 1, which is the genealogy of Christ. How from Abraham came David, and from how David came the Savior of the world. You see, God took and used Naomi's story and wrote an ending that she could never have conceived of, never have dreamed of. You see, just as the birth of this child brought redemption for Naomi, it pointed to the birth of another child who would bring redemption for the world. Isn't that what we remember and rejoice in this Christmas? The child who was born come to rewrite our stories. The birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come in human flesh. The one who turns tales of sorrow and suffering into happily ever afters. The light come into the darkness. Hope breaking into despair. The life overcoming death. The blessing transforming our bitterness. You see, Jesus was born this day. The child come. He identifies with us in our humanity. He lives a life we should have lived but couldn't. He died the death that we should have died but didn't. And then he rose again from the dead as a promise and a guarantee that all who trust in him, all of their senselessness and sadness of their lives will be consumed in a greater glory. This first advent, we remember Jesus Christ coming to the world to start the process, which points us to the second advent where he will come again to finish what he started. Because when he comes again, he will undo all that unraveled in your life, the losses and the griefs and the hurts. He will consume them into a greater glory. That's the hope of the world. Now, I don't know the chapter that you are in right now. If you imagine your life like a story, then all of you have a table of contents. In that table of contents, we have all kinds of chapters and all kinds of titles to those chapters. Think back of this year. What were those chapters entitled? And for some, it was my experience of profound loneliness, the season of doubt and deconstruction. For others, it's the hardest year of marriage yet. A future of unknowns because I lost a loved one. Living in the regret and consequences of some of the decisions I've made. You see, friends, every chapter of your life will have its own title. Some chapters will be longer than others. But remember that the titles of those chapters are not the title of your final story. Because the grand ending, the final chapter, that's in the hands of the one who can redeem your life and redeem and rewrite your story in the end. Who is that? That's Christ Jesus, the child born unto us this day.
and he will make it so that all your earthly worries will turn into eternal glory. He will take every tear that you shed and he kept in a bottle and he will wipe them away forever. He will take each of your greatest losses and transform them into glorious gains. He'll take every mistake that took you away from God and turn them into detours that lead you right back to him. And all of this he'll do in his time. Naomi suffered tragically in chapter one. Redemption didn't come in chapter two. Redemption didn't come in chapter three. It came in the fourth and final chapter. What does this mean for you? It means whatever chapter you're in right now, don't lose hope because that's not the final chapter. You see, friends, this is the only way that a weary world can rejoice. It's the only way that the Lord can give and take away and you can still come out on the other side singing, blessed be the name of the Lord. Beloved, your story is never finished until God is at his way in the final chapter. Because in that final chapter, then with a masterful stroke, he will pen the type of marvelous, glorious ending to your story that all the books in the world can only hope to end with. And he will do this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the child born to us this morning, the Redeemer and the Restorer of our broken stories. Pray with me.